Well, as I said earlier, tonight we get to start a new series that uh, I'm pretty excited about. I forgot to welcome you guys earlier. If you're a guest, if this is like your first time here uh, tonight, man, we're so glad that you're here. I want you to just relax and be who you are. Uh, just kind of sit back and enjoy yourself and kind of take things in tonight. But we're glad that you've chosen to join us. And so we start this new series on, uh, on the end. I guess, I guess maybe it's more the end of the world as we know it, like the song said. And uh, this is one of those things, uh, set of beliefs, doctrines, that I think we can get really messed up as Christians. Like we could get things a little bit backwards and we can get focused on the wrong stuff when we talk about end times. And uh, it, another word for end times, you may have heard this word, eschatology. That's kind of the, the big word for end times, a seminary word. Uh, tonight, we're going to start this four-week series where we're just going to look at it. We're going to dig in and say, like, what is it that the Bible says about the end times? What should we believe? What should we feel? Because I think we can get this a little bit twisted. You know, I think I was thinking like three specific ways that I've seen um, Christians get this kind of wrong. The first one is there's like this ignorance, you know, where it's like, uh, I don't know about the end times. It's so confusing. Like, what is the tribulation? I don't know. What's the rapture? What's the millennium? What's Armageddon? I've seen movies about it. Like, what is it? It's confusing to me. You pick up the book of Revelation. I don't understand it, right? Just forget it. I, I, I'm not going to think about it, right? That's one thing. Sort of this intentional ignorance when we talk about end time stuff. Another one is fear, where we're like, man, I don't even want to think about it. Like, have you read Matthew 24? The sun will be dark and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky. The heavenly bodies will be shaken. That sounds terrible. I don't want to think about that either, right? Like, close your eyes. I'm terrified of it. It's another kind of way that we get it wrong. Another one is this overemphasis. I've seen this lots of times, too. Like, it becomes the preoccupation of our Christianity. We're like, end times, yeah, I'm all about end times. I'm a dispensational premillennialist, and I have cracked the Bible code, and I found out that the Antichrist is going to be Trump, the beast is going to be Hillary, and the false prophet is going to be Oprah. <laughs> And by the way, I found out that the Trump is going to sound and Jesus is going to come back January 23rd, 2021. You should put that on your calendars, right? Kind of an important day. Like we can have this sort of preoccupation with it where it becomes the most important part of our faith. And we're trying to figure out the dates and the times and exactly what it's going to be like. All those are poor ways to approach the end times. And yet we're still told, like when you read the Bible, when you read what Jesus and other Bible writers say, they say things like, keep watch. Be ready. Be aware of the signs of the times, right? So what is the appropriate balance for us? What's the appropriate response for us as we look at the end times? I shouldn't be scared. Should I be excited about it? Like, should I be excited about the end of the world as we know it? Should I, should I long for it? Should I just not worry about it and just kind of live my life here and now? Like, what should I do? I remember when I was a kid, man, it seemed like in the 80s, I hope some of you guys remember this too, I mean, I'm dating myself, it seemed like in the 80s, like every month there was a prediction about the end of the world was coming, and it would freak me out, you know? Like, I, it terrified me. I have like these, 
these images. I remember like driving, my mom was a tennis player. I remember driving to this tennis facility down in North Canton and on the radio there was this prediction of the end times. And I remember looking at this facility, hearing this, and it's like etched in my memory forever. It's this terrifying childhood moment, you know? I remember talking about it in school. I vaguely remember talking about it in school, you know, like your social studies homework is due on Friday unless the world ends on Thursday, like it's planning to be, you know? Like, it was all around. I remember being terrified of it as a kid. You, you remember uh, maybe, uh, I think it was four years ago, almost four years ago, the end of 2012. Do you remember what the buzz was about? Remember? The end was coming. Why? Because the, the ancient Mayan calendar came to an end. And so that must mean that the world's going to end, Right? Like, there's all kinds of predictions and people trying to figure it out. How do we handle talk about the end of the world, about the end times? Like, how should we talk about it? How should we feel about it? Well, what I want to do tonight and over this next series is, is I just want to look at what the Bible says about it. And I want to uh, dig into it. I want to pull some things out. I think you're going to see that there's some things that the Bible's very specific on, and there's some things that it's less specific on. And so we're going to spend this series, the next four weeks, and we're going to dig into this together. And if you attend all four weeks, I'll let you know the date that Jesus is coming back, okay? Deal? <laughs> Deal. Okay. Anyway, as we get started, I want to recommend a book to you, and I forgot it, but we have a picture of it. Throw that up on the screen. So there's a lot of different types uh, of end times books, end times prophecy, eschatology, again, is kind of the big word for it. There's a lot of different books out there. Many of them are really good, and many of them are terrible. They're like hokey. They're like, like I said, cracking the Bible code sort of things. This is one that I stumbled upon uh, a few years ago that's really good. It's written by a guy named Timothy Paul Jones. Uh, he's at Southern Seminary. He's a professor at Southern Seminary, and it's just really, it's just well balanced. You know, there's a lot, as, as you'll see throughout the series, there's a lot of perspectives on the end times. There's a lot of uh, people understand that it unfolding in different ways. And so, what he does really well in this book, it's colorful. There's lots of graphs, which I like. It keeps my attention, right? But he does really good at sort of balancing the different approaches and saying, this is what I believe. Here's why. Here's what others believe. And here's why. So, I'd encourage you. On the back table, I got a couple copies back there. Uh, I, think I think we paid $15 for them, so I think we need to recoup the money that we got. But if you're interested in that or just flipping through it, you can buy it on Amazon, I'm sure, as well. But it's a good book um, on end time stuff. So, so as we dig into this, let me, let me give you a disclaimer as we start this discussion talking about the end. As thoughtful, Bible-believing Christians, there's some things in our faith that are like non-negotiables, right? Like there's some things that the Bible is really, really clear on that are non-negotiables for us. So these are things like God is the creator of everything, right? He made everything from nothing. He's the creator. He's the sustainer of everything. These are things like God has eternally existed as Father, Son, Holy Spirit, a triune God, the Trinity, one God, three persons. These are things like Jesus Christ is God the Son. He became flesh and blood. He came, he lived, he died on the cross for our sins. One day he's coming back. These are things like we're saved by grace through faith alone. These are things like I believe that the Bible is God's word to me, right? These are non-negotiables for us as Bible-believing Christians. But as uh, another theologian, a guy named Al Mohler points out, there's also some beliefs that we hold a little looser, 
right? Because the Bible is not quite as clear on these things, and it's not quite as specific on these things. And so the end times actually fall into this category. It's not that we don't have beliefs on the end times and what it's going to be like. The Bible talks a lot about it. It's not that we don't have beliefs. We do. But when we start talking about the specifics of the beliefs, we hold them with an open hand. We hold them with an open hand. And we have to admit, and, and for some people this is painful, I realize this, but guys, this is a good lesson in humility and honesty. We have to admit that we don't have everything in our theology worked out perfectly. There's things that we just go, man, I, I don't fully understand it. I understand the big picture, which is what we're going to talk about tonight, but I don't fully understand all of the details because the Bible's not as specific on those things. How, how, does, like, how does that feel to you, to know that maybe we don't have everything worked out perfectly in our theology? You comfortable with that? Yeah. It's actually a good, humbling thing for us to experience. Part of our job as we grow as followers and mature as followers of Jesus is to understand and distinguish the non-negotiables, like I would die on a hill for these things, with the less the, the, uh, the non-essential beliefs, right? Like there's God, where God gives us a little bit more latitude, a little bit more leniency in understanding what he's saying here. And so as we talk about end time stuff, I want, this is my caveat, this is my disclaimer throughout this series. I want us to become comfortable with this statement, ready? We talk about the specifics of the end times. We hold it with an open hand and we go, this is what I believe, but I could be wrong on the details. This is what I believe. And we're going to talk about what we believe. We're going to look at what the Bible says, all the different passages. We're going to look at those. We're going to say, this is what I believe. But when we talk about all the specifics, all the details, I could be wrong on the details. There's some things regarding the end times in the Bible that are really, really clear. Like they're very clear. We're going to talk about that tonight. There's other things that are less clear. They're a little bit ambiguous. And so you have all these different passages, Old Testament and New Testament, and reconciling them together and knowing what happens first and what happens second is tough. The Bible's just not specific on that. And so as we fill in the gaps with the specifics, we have to admit that we could be wrong, right? And so when somebody has a different perspective on us and than us, and there's lots of them, pre-tribulational, pre-millennialists, classic pre-millennialists, amillennialists, post-millennialists, there's all kinds of views on the end times. When somebody has a different view than us, we don't look at them and they go, surely you're going to want to hell because you don't believe the way that I do. Like, we don't do that right? Like that, that's not something with the end times that we do. So we hold it with an open hand. The majors we're going to major on, the minors are going to be minors for us, okay? Make sense? Okay, so when we're talking about the end times, like I said earlier, there's nothing more important than the big picture, and that's what we're going to focus on here. Understanding the big picture, majoring on the majors is incredibly important for us. We don't want to major on the minors. We don't want to make a big deal out of the things in the Bible that aren't as big a deal or aren't as specific. And so the main thing when we talk about, if there's nothing else you hear tonight, I want you to hear this, okay? The main thing when we talk about the end times that we all need to get is this, ready? Two words. Jesus wins. Jesus wins. Ready? I want you to say it with me. Ready? Jesus wins. One more time. Jesus wins. Yeah. See, stuff's going to happen, right? Things may very well get crazy when the end comes. Jesus says he's coming back. We, we take him at his word. He came the first time, right? We take him at his word. Things may get crazy, but we know this. 
Jesus wins. We don't know how it's all going to shake out, but we know this. Jesus wins. We don't know when he's coming back, but we know this. Jesus wins. Don't miss the big picture. As, as the subsequent weeks come and we kind of get, dig into some of the details here, don't forget the big picture. The big picture is Jesus wins. Satan and his cronies, they're going to have a time of influence. We see that now, right? It's going to increase. The world's going to get crazy. It's already some crazy, right? It's going to get crazier. We expect that. But simultaneously, with all of the craziness, with all of the, the movement of Satan and his demons, the kingdom of God is expanding. We see that too. More and more people are coming to know Jesus around the world. And one day Christ is going to return. There's going to be a battle or two. We're going to look at that for a second here tonight. There'll be a time of judgment by Jesus. But in the end, Jesus wins. That's the big picture. We hold on very tightly to that. And you know what's so cool? It's so cool. It's, it's like very anticlimactic. You know what I mean by that? Like, like, you ever uh, seen, uh, I don't know how much of a sports fan you are, but Ohio State and Michigan is like the greatest rivalry in sports, right? So Ohio State football, Michigan football are like two of the best football programs ever. And beyond the last 10, 15 years when Michigan's been Ohio State's whipping boy, beyond that, They've been like incredibly evenly matched and they go back and forth and back and forth. And so like you have an incredible football game, right? We have two evenly matched teams like Ohio State and Michigan. They're just going at it. Defense, offense, touchdown, sack, all this back and forth and back and forth. And then eventually in every game, eventually there's like some point, a climax, right? Where it's usually one play. One play where the, where the momentum shifts, where the tide shifts. And you don't know who's going to win that game up to that point. It's back and forth. It's back and forth. But then one team sort of has this, this climax play. They overcome. They sort of finish it out. Done. They win the game, right? Like incredible. I love games like that. The end times will be nothing like that. There'll be nothing like that. They'll be the opposite of that. It's not the, this incredibly balanced uh, uh, war between evil and good. It's not climactic. Like, I don't know who's going to win. It's actually the opposite of that. So I want to look at it. I want you to see these passages in the Bible that talk about the end when Jesus returns, okay? So if you've got a Bible, flip it open to Revelation chapter 19. The end of the book of Revelation digs into all of this stuff. In, in just a few chapters, four chapters, it talks about Jesus returning, what the end times are going to be like, kind of briefly, and then eternity, okay? So Revelation chapter 19, it's the last book in your Bible, right after the book of Jude, right before the maps at the back of your Bible, right? So the book of Revelation is written by a guy named John, the Apostle John. He was one of the guys that was with Jesus. Same guy who wrote the Gospel of John. Same guy who wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And Revelation, is, I'm not sure what you think of when you think of Revelation. Revelation is an, an apocalyptic book, which means it's a book that, that reveals or unveils truth. And it's got lots of metaphor, admittedly. It's got lots of metaphor and symbolism and figurative language in it. And so it's a little tough to understand in general compared to some of the other books in the Bible. And sometimes it's tough to tell what passages to, or what the verses to take literally and which ones to take figuratively. But some parts are very easy to understand, like the passage that we're going to look at right now. You're going to see some figurative language in here, but you'll see very clearly what happens. Okay, So look at it. Revelation 19, starting in verse 11. This is the return of Jesus. Okay, Love this. 
I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He's dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He'll rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That, That doesn't sound like the Jesus that we normally talk about, does it? A little bit different. See, when when the eternal Son of God, God the Son, came the first time, when he became flesh and blood, we call that the incarnation, right? When God the Son became flesh and blood in Jesus Christ, Jesus born in the manger, he didn't force anything, did he? He was gentle, he was meek, he came to seek and save the lost, but he didn't force himself on anybody. He's called the suffering servant. You read in Isaiah about this. He's called the suffering servant. He spoke with authority for sure, but he came as a servant and he allowed other people to resist him. He allowed other people to reject him and he even allowed other people to crucify him according to his plan. And he left justice for those that love evil and darkness to be reckoned another time. When Jesus came the first time, he brought peace to those seeking peace and he brought salvation to those seeking truth and forgiveness. That's when he came the first time. But his second coming is different. His return to earth is quite different. He comes as our triumphant king. This time he comes to bring justice to those that reject him, to those that reject his word and his ways, and to bring peace and eternal life to those that love him and have remained faithful to him. He's been patient with us and he's given us time after time after time to come to him with repentance, to come to him for for forgiveness. But to those that don't come to forgiveness, King Jesus will be terrifying. Terrifying. Because the returning king is a warrior. The returning king is a warrior. Listen to it again. Let me, let me read it again. Just, just close your eyes and listen. You don't, don't even have to look at it. I mean, just, just get this image in your mind. This is what it's like when Jesus returns, right from the Bible. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse on its rider, whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice, he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire. On his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him no one else knows but himself. He's dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Coming out of his mouth was a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He'll rule with an iron set. He'll tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. And on his robe and his thigh, he has his name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Guys, our returning king is a warrior. I don't know about you, but I, I feel like I need to, to see and visualize and think about this side of Jesus with more regularity. Because let's be honest, it's easy to go through life and go, yeah, Jesus, I'll get to him if I want to. You know, I got other things going on. I'll follow him if I want to, you know. But it's tough to take advantage of God's grace 
and his kindness to us when we think of his robe drenched in blood and fire in his eyes and a sword coming out of his mouth, mauling what's evil. God is love and justice. Like we believe that, right? God is love and justice, but to protect the good and innocent, his love and justice means that one day he's going to have to destroy evil and he's going to have to destroy the guilty. And he'll do that completely when he returns. The returning king is a warrior and he comes to bring justice to the world. And when he comes back, he will reckon accounts. When you think about that, like think, think about how powerful he is. Think about the power and the majesty and the awe of Jesus Christ. And he allows us to be on his side. In fact, he calls us to be on his side. He's God. All power and authority is his. And he knows you and he loves you. He calls to you. Let me show you a little bit more about his power. Look at verse 19. Uh, Revelation 19, 19. This is so cool. So then I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to wage war against the rider on the horse and his army. So like, this is it, right? This is the battle. This is the battle of Armageddon. This is the great battle, the ultimate clash of good versus evil. I hope Jesus and the armies of good squeak by. I hope they make it, right? Look at verse 20. But the beast was captured, and with it the false prophet who performed the signs on his behalf. With these signs, he deluded those who received the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. The two of them were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. The rest were killed with the sword coming out of the mouth of the rider on the horse, and all the bir- birds gorged themselves on her flesh. Wait a minute. I must have missed something, because I, I missed the battle here. Did, did I skip something? Revelation 19, I saw the beast and the kings of the earth gathered together to wage war against the rider on the horse and his army. But the beast was captured, and with it the false prophet. With these signs he deluded people. Two of them were thrown alive into the lake of burning sulfur. The rest were killed with a sword coming out of his mouth, and the birds gored themselves on his flesh. See what I mean? Like, totally anticlimactic. It's no contest. We're not talking about two evenly matched powerhouses clashing in this epic battle. That's not how John saw his vision. Remember, John's the guy who wrote this. He's writing this vision that he saw. That's not how John's vision went. That's not what he describes for us. This isn't two evenly matched generals leading giant armies in the battle of the ages. This is a big army of wicked people and demons going up against God. And Jesus crushes them and he throws them into the fiery lake of burning sulfur or hell. Maybe you want to write this down. Our warrior king Jesus crushes evil. He comes back as our warrior king. And our warrior king Jesus one day crush evil. In Jesus' justice and his love, he reckons accounts. That's what he's going to do. I wonder how that makes you feel, you know? I wonder what goes on in your mind when you think about that. It's very popular for us to talk about the love and grace of Jesus, and he so generously offers that to us over and over and over again. And I wonder what you think and what you feel knowing that he's coming back, and it's at that time that he reckons accounts. It's a different side of Jesus. He's our loving Savior, but he's also our just king. And he's going to bring justice one day. And all those that oppose him, 
He gives us time and time and time again to come to him, right? To repent, to give our lives to him. He doesn't force anything. And all those that oppose him one day will receive what they deserve. But he doesn't just end there. He doesn't just end with the beast and the false prophet. He gets the third person of the unholy trinity as well. The dragon or Satan as he's called. Look at the very next uh, chapter, chapter 20. Revelation 20, verse 1. I saw an angel come down out of heaven, having the key to the abyss, the bottomless pit, and holding in his hand a great chain. He seized the dragon, that ancient serpent who's the devil or Satan, and he bound him for a thousand years. He threw him into the abyss and locked and sealed it over him to keep him from deceiving nations anymore until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be set free for a short time. You know, you know as I read this, you know what's telling about these three verses here? It's, it's not that Satan is captured. It's not that Satan is bound. It's not that he's thrown into the bottomless pit. What's telling about these three verses is it's not Jesus who does it. Did you catch that? Look, look, look back at it. Look back at verse 1. I saw who? An angel coming down out of heaven, having the key to the abyss. He sees the dragon, that ancient serpent, the devil, and he bound him for a thousand years. He threw him into the abyss, locked it, and sealed it over him. He sends an angel. God sends an angel. Like Satan is not God or Jesus' equal. Sometimes we can get that in our minds, you know? Like God is the ultimate good power and Satan is the equal evil power, right? They're like a balance of each other. That's, that's, that's actually not at all true here. Satan's not God's equal. Sometimes we make him out to be. An angel is. No doubt a powerful angel that God sends, probably an archangel, but it's an angel who binds Satan and throws him in a bottomless pit. And for whatever reason, the Bible doesn't tell us why, but for whatever reason, Satan must be released after a thousand years. These thousand years are called the millennial reign of Christ, which we'll talk about more actually in two weeks. We're going to dig into that a little bit in two weeks. But upon Satan's release, you may be now expecting like now the battle's going to happen. You know, he's ticked off. He's been in a bottomless pit doing I don't know what for a thousand years, right? He's released. It's going to be the ultimate battle of good versus evil. Now it's on, right? Well, look at verse 7, chapter 20, verse 7. Here we go. When the thousand years are over, Satan will be released from his prison and he'll go out and deceive the nations in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, and to gather them for battle. In number, they're like the sand of the seashore. All of these evil people and demons, right? They march across the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of God's people, the city he loves. Here it is, right? We're, we're getting ready for it. This is, the, this is the big battle. Good versus evil. Look at it. Second part of verse 9. But fire came down from heaven and devoured them. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. They'll be tormented day and night forever. Hmm. Not, not really a battle, is it? It's not this epic battle between two equally matched adversaries. This is God versus anybody else. It doesn't, it doesn't matter who's opposing him. There's no contest here. Can you imagine the power of our God? He's so big and powerful and amazing. He came as our suffering servant to give us grace and forgiveness. He comes back as the triumphant warrior king, displaying his power. And this powerful, amazing God knows your name. And he loves you. And he wants you to be on his team. <laughs> he wants you to be on his side. 
We have to choose. We, he, doesn't, he doesn't force anything. Not yet. We have to choose. So, so that's it. Like that's, that's the big picture of the end times. Jesus comes back and Jesus wins. Like that's what it's all about. Throughout these coming weeks, I don't want you to forget that. Like as we as we talk specifics, and we're gonna the next two weeks, we're gonna look at uh, I call them eight simple steps, eight simple steps of the end times. We're gonna look at these over the next few weeks. But as we do, I don't want you to forget like the big picture, the big idea. Jesus comes back and Jesus wins. So here's what I do. Here's how I want to wrap up our time. I got nine minutes left. I want to talk about what it means for us. I want to talk about what it looks like for us to live our lives here, 21st century, Barberton, Ohio, knowing that the end is coming, the end of the world as we know it. We'll talk about what that looks like in subsequent weeks. But Jesus is coming back and Jesus wins. I want to talk about a few things that God's been teaching me this week. First is we need to know him. You probably knew I was going here. Like We need to know God. We need to know Jesus Christ, the returning king. In your life, only you know this. You know, do, do you know him? Like if he came back, we'll talk about this coming up too. He could come back at any time. So we believe. It's called the imminent return of Christ. He could come back at any time. If you were to come back tonight, like whose team would you be on? Like whose side would you be on? You're either with him, for him, or you're against him. There's, there's no middle ground with him. Do you know him? He promises us that if we seek him, we'll find him. He's not an enigma. He doesn't hide himself from us. It's like we want to know him. He'll reveal himself to us. You know, we, we read about the, the it's like war part of him, right? A sword coming out of his mouth, his robe dipped in blood. Listen, he wants no one to perish. Tells us this in Second uh, Peter 3. God wants no one to perish. But he wants all of us to come to repentance, to faith in him. He's going to win one day. One day at the name of Jesus. Tells us this in the Bible too. At the name of Jesus, every knee is going to bow, right? In heaven and on earth and under the earth. The question is, will you bow your knee willingly to him now? Or will he force you to bow to him later? I, and maybe you sit here tonight and you're like, I do know him. I, I I'm here, I'm at church because I know him. I'm following him. I'm not perfect, but I'm following him. Man, I want to challenge you. Get to know him better. You know, I shared a little bit with you last week. Like, we all struggle. I shared with you my struggles. We all struggle. We all have dry points in our faith, right? Commit to him that you want to get to know him better. That you'll seek him. It's not, it's not a mystery how we get to know God better. We make him number one in our life. We talk to him regularly. And we read about him regularly. We love the things he loves. We serve the people he loves, which is everybody, right? Like, it's not a mystery. One of my goals in, in my life, and I am certainly not even close to perfect at this, but one of my goals is every day that God gives me to get to know him better. Just in some way, you know? Like, when I'm reading my Bible, I try not to read it just to check it off the list, just to get it done. I, I follow a reading plan, you know, so... I don't want to just read to the end and go, okay, I'm done with that. I, I want to read it because I want to get to know him. Like I want to know, I want to learn something new about him. And it's amazing. The more we read, we could read stuff over and over and over again. And God does this thing. It's happened to me so many times where I go, oh man, I never thought of that before. I mean, I've read that 30 times and I've never thought of that before, that side of God. So maybe you know him and you're like, I need to get to know him better. 
That's the first thing that I think of when I think of end time stuff. We need to know Jesus Christ, the returning king. Here's the second thing. We don't need to fear evil. We don't need to fear evil. Who wins one day? Jesus, right? Like we know who wins. And he that is in us, that's what it says in 1 John, same guy who wrote Revelation, he that is in us is greater than he that's in the world. Who's in you if you're a follower of Jesus? The very spirit of Jesus. The spirit of God the Father and God the Son. We saw that one day, he's no one, no one even comes close. He's the victor, right? There's nothing about evil that you and I need to fear when we follow and love Jesus. His spirit lives inside of him. But here's the thing. We got to resist it. We got to resist evil. Even if we're followers of Jesus, evil and sinfulness can have a huge role in our lives if we invite it in. If we're not focused on God, if, we're, if, I, if this is your time with God each week and this is it, you're in trouble. You're in trouble. We got to go to him. We got to spend time with him. When we invite sin and evil into our lives, it, it rules over us. It happens. But man, when I'm strong in the Lord, I have no fear. Sin has no power in my life, right? We don't need to fear evil but we need to resist evil. And then the last thing, this has really been on my heart this week. Like, so we think about the end times. We think about Jesus coming back. And we think about Jesus reckoning accounts. We need to let others know. <laughs> Guys, there are so many people in our community, wherever you live, Barberton, Norton, Wadsworth, I don't know where you live, Doyle's, I don't know where you live. Wherever you live, there are so many people right in your community they don't know anything about Jesus. There's a church on almost every corner. There's so many people that are so, like, I, I say this with, I don't say this in a mean way, are clueless. They've never been taught. Like, our primary value here at Grace Church is to make Jesus make sense, right? There's so many people that Jesus doesn't make sense to. They've never been taught truth. And I know, some people don't care. They're not interested. I get that. But man, some people are searching for truth and are searching for hope. The question is, are they going to find it when people like you and me step up and we live our lives in a way that's consistent with what God says and we tell them what God says? We tell them who Jesus is. We got to let other people know. That's my challenge to you. Like, I don't, I, you know, as you... I don't know, as you're sitting there, I don't know if you, like, people jump out to you like, yeah, man, this person needs to know and this person needs to know. You know, these are all people in my life. Or maybe you're like, I can't think of anybody right offhand. Talk to God about it. Guess, ask God who in your life. We all have these natural relationships, right? Who in your life has no relationship with Jesus? They have no clue who he is. And maybe God would use you in their lives to just give them hope, to give them truth, to extend love to them. That's my challenge to you tonight. So we talk about the end times. Like, allow God to bring people to your mind. Allow God to show you how important he is and the priority he needs to be in our lives. And resist evil. Stay away from evil and sinfulness. Make him primary in your life. That's our challenge for tonight.